facial recognition has been around for a while now. It was proposed back in the 60s, but new technology has enabled it to become a serious risk to privacy, giving it access to the huge database on the internet, which is technically publicly available. Clearview AI sells an app which enables the user to get a snapshot of someone's face, to find their name, social media, profile, friends, family, possibly their home addresses. The New Zealand police trialled Clearview AI a few years ago and decided not to use it. Um, Meanwhile, our Ministry of Social Development begins using a form of facial recognition technology from an Irish company later this month. Anyway, we spoke to New York Times technology journalist Kashmir Hill um, a couple of years ago about Clearview AI, which she had been investigating. In fact, she revealed its very existence. And she found US law enforcement agencies were very enthusiastic about it. Uh, crime-busting abilities and all, and other companies are now offering similar services. Kashmir Hill has since written a book about Clearview AI and more generally how facial recognition technology is reshaping our lives. It's called Your Face Belongs to Us, the secretive startup dismantling your privacy. And she joins us again now. Hi, welcome back. Mm, thanks, Kim. It's good to be here. Um, it had, just talking about Clearview AI, had not, when we spoke last, been tested for accuracy. And one of the things that your book talks about and that one is concerned about is false positives, false matches. You've got a couple of examples of people who were really um, accused of crimes that they could not possibly have committed simply because their faces matched a bit biases are baked in. Has there been any accuracy test of it of late? Yes. I mean, this was something that was a bit disturbing in those early days of Clearview AI because uh, police officers here in the United States and around the world in Australia, they were all using this this app and it had not been for, through testing. We didn't know how accurate it was. Um, and that, 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 that seemed troubling. Um, since then it took, it took about three years, but Clearview AI finally submitted their algorithm to a federal lab here in the United States known as the National Institute of Standards and Technology or NIST. And it turned out that actually the algorithm was quite accurate. It ranked very high, uh, in this, in this, this vendor test that the NIST does um, of hundreds of algorithms, it was actually the top performing app in in the United States. Uh, you know, worked worked um, along the same lines as uh, other companies like SenseTime out of out of China and Entech Lab out of Russia. Obviously, the more photos that Clearview AI scrapes from the public internet the more accurate it's going to be. That's what AI is, right? It's it's learning. And the more information, the more learning, the more accurate, right? 
Yeah, I mean, these algorithms, for a long time, facial recognition technology really struggled. Um, you know, it didn't work that well in real world environments. Um, but these algorithms have gotten very powerful. And it is, as you say, because they're able to be trained on a lot of faces. Um, and one of the problems with the early algorithms is that they were often only trained on the faces of, of, of some people. So a lot of companies here in the West you know, they were training their algorithms to recognize white faces, and it didn't work as well on other groups. Um, but now these companies understand that they are training their algorithms on diverse sets of faces. And it, the technology has really come a long way and it is um, accurate. Uh, and it does tend to perform well on different sorts of people. And so they, you know, they, there still are problems. Um, I know of at least one case in which Clearview AI did um, uh, have a false positive or resulted in an arrest of a man named Randall Karan Reed uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, for a crime that had been committed in a state he had never been to. He was held in, in jail for a week trying to clear this up. So mistakes do happen. Um, and Randall Reed is a black man. Um, that said, you know, the, the, the bias is not, um, is not as bad as it used to be. It's really come a long way. And the, the algorithms are far more accurate than they used to be. Well, that's got to be a good thing in terms of its crime-busting abilities. I think it is. Um, it just means that we need to think differently about facial recognition technology and grapple with a future in which it is incredibly accurate and it is incredibly powerful and what that would mean if it starts being widely deployed like it has been in other countries, in, in Russia, in China, for example, because this does mean that it is very easy to find somebody or to identify somebody and and act accordingly. And the, the best example of this that we've seen, one of the most troubling use cases here in the United States is an events venue um, called Madison Square Garden. It's a place people go to to watch uh, to watch basketball games and uh, ice hockey games and, and see big bands perform like U2 and Mariah Carey. Um, and they installed facial recognition technology in 2018 for safety and security reasons uh, to make sure they could protect the big crowds that were in their venue. But in the last year, the owner of Madison Square Garden realized that he could use this, this surveillance infrastructure for another purpose, basically to punish his enemies. And uh, in this case, uh, his enemies were lawyers who worked at firms that sued him because MSG was getting sued for, you know, all kinds of things from slip and fall suits to corporate shareholders who were upset about the way that he was managing the business. And so MSG, our Madison Square Garden, went to these law firms' websites and uh, gathered the headshots of the of the lawyers from their biography pages and created this 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 watch list of thousands of lawyers. And when they tried to come to the venue, they would be turned away. And I actually saw this happen. I went to a uh, Rangers game um, with one of the lawyers on the list. And there were thousands of people that are streaming into the venue. And we walked through the doors, we put our, our bags on a security belt. By the time we picked them up, you know, we'd been there for 30 seconds, guards approached us 
and told her she was not welcome in the venue. She said, I, I, I'm not working on the case, you know, against Madison Square Garden. I'm not involved in that. And they said it didn't matter. You know, everyone from her firm was banned and she was asked to leave. So you can really see the the power of uh, technology like this when it is that accurate, how quickly um, you can use this to kind of discriminate against people in new ways. I suppose they could have done that already, right? I mean, if they de- if you if they demanded that people have a, a a card to check in to the venue, they could still have eliminated those lawyers. I mean, not in eliminate, but stop them getting in. You mean if you asked every single person to to hand over an ID in order to get into the venue? Yes, all right, stupid idea. Um, (laughs) I mean, it would work, but it would take a, the Rangers game would be over by the time everybody got in. (laughs) Um, If everybody, if everybody wore a mask, as in COVID masking, would it still work? So during the pandemic, a lot of these facial recognition vendors train their algorithms to work even when people wear masks. And I've, I've seen this. Um, I actually tested one of the public face search engines that's out there, a site called Pim Eyes, um, with photos of my fellow reporters here at the New York Times with their consent. And yes, in one case, my, my, my colleague, Cecilia Kong, she sent me a photo of herself with a COVID mask covering most of her face. I uploaded it to Pim Eyes. It was still able to identify her and find other photos of her on the internet. So, you know, it, it, it affects the algorithm. Maybe they don't work quite as well, but, but yeah, they, they have taught the, the software even to work with photos of us when we're wearing masks. Um, there's a, the, you've written a very interesting paragraph that, that I liked. I'll just read it. At the beginning of the 21st century, companies like Google and Facebook convinced much of the planet that the tech industry had a noble plan to connect and enrich the global population, unlock the whole of human knowledge, make the world a better place. But on the ground in San Francisco, many developers, like Juan, Ton, Pat, were just trying to strike it rich any dumb way they could. And that's quite true. Your description of Juan, Ton, Pat, who started out Clearview AI, is of somebody who had absolutely no scruples or no idea that scruples were possible. He just didn't think about it. And he was scrabbling around trying to find an identity, was quite a sort of long-haired, guitar-playing liberal at one point, and then lurched towards the Conservatives, got back by Peter Thiel, somebody with whom we're familiar here, and off he went. It's a it's a conservative creation. This it's a it's a radical right creation. Somehow, is it not? Definitely, a lot of the people that surrounded Clearview AI came from the conservative movement. A lot of people kind of affiliated with Donald Trump, with the MAGA movement. Um, it, it did come from a conservative place, and Juan Tantad is, um, uh, you know, I think he has evolved quite a bit. He says now, you know, he doesn't hold those same conservative views necessarily. He says he's too busy working on Clearview AI essentially to have um, uh, time for politics. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it did come from 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 that place. And Wonton Dat, you know, it was amazing to me when I first discovered Clearview AI. I thought 
the person who built it must be just, uh, you know, a technological genius, uh, you know, someone who was so accomplished and incredible. And then I meet Juan Tantat and his experience is making Facebook quizzes in iPhone games in an app called Trump Hair. Uh, he was technically savvy, but he was not, you know, a rocket scientist. And so really the story of Clearview AI is this bigger story about AI and kind of the way that the building blocks for very powerful applications are now being shared online um, so that anyone can can build quite powerful software. And so Juan Tantat was just relying on, you know, kind of code and algorithms that were essentially being shared on places like GitHub. Um, and I think that is kind of the scarier idea uh, that we are making these kinds of technologies available to anyone to do what they will. And Clearview AI originally wasn't planning on making facial recognition technology just for the police. They were just trying to figure out, okay, we've made this, this technology that can kind of recognize anyone. Now let's see who will pay for it. And it just happened that police were the right customers and were, were the ones willing to pay for it. Um, but kind of my fear with other AI technologies that we are going to see very radical actors who adopt the tools and do things that we don't expect that, that really cross um, kind of ethical and moral lines without if we don't have kind of regulation and laws in place to discourage such behavior. You make this point in your book, and I want to be clear that I understand it. Neural networks are the key to all this because they're able to teach themselves through trial and error. Um, and open source has made this technology available to anybody who wants it. Now, one tends to identify open source as a good thing. Are you suggesting that as we get into these types of technologies, it's a bad thing? It's, it is so complicated. I mean, open source can be a good thing. Um, it is, you know, a lot of people don't like the idea of these technologies being monopolized, for example, by the big technology companies, that they're the only ones that are able to wield it. And with facial recognition technology, that was kind of the case for a while. Companies like Google and Facebook, um, they worked on facial recognition technology. They bought the startups that were working on it. And, and they really controlled the development for some period of time. And they actually developed Clearview AI-like abilities internally, the ability to take a photo of somebody, of a stranger, and identify them. And they said, they, and this, is, this may be surprising to some listeners who don't necessarily think of Google and Facebook as very uh, privacy-conscious or conservative companies. Google, after all, sent street view cars out around the world yeah. to take photos of our houses and put them on the Internet. Um, but they decided that it was too dangerous and they didn't want to release it. They decided not to release, uh, you know, the ability to recognize a stranger. Um, but then because of open source, because of sharing it became more accessible. And we are seeing that same debate happen right now with generative AI. A company like OpenAI, you know, it makes ChatGPT available. And so all of us can try ChatGPT, but ultimately they control the model. And so if they see somebody using ChatGPT in a way that they find disturbing, they can shut down their access. Um, what we're talking, um, the, the difference, the making it open source would be actually what Facebook has been doing. They say that they want to make uh, the kind of model that 
um, power something like ChatGPT, they want to open source that and allow more people to kind of play with that, experiment with that. But when you do that, once you open source it, it means that you can't control access to it anymore. Um, and, and so it may be, you know, used in an unexpected way. I, I think some of the most disturbing uh, versions of generative AI that we're seeing are these people that are building models to create, you know, deep fake pornography of, of people without their consent. And um, if you've open sourced it, there's no way for you to shut that down. Indeed, we were talking about that the other week. Talking about chat, GBT, there's a great deal of shock and apprehension expressed about it. Does it surprise you that there's less shock and apprehension, it seems, being expressed about what is, as you've said, a question of life and liberty, facial recognition technology? I think there has been a lot of concern about facial recognition technology. I mean, within Australia, for example, and New Zealand, you know, there was a lot of concern about police using specifically a tool like Clearview AI um, that that gathers all this information without people's consent, you know, putting um, billions of millions of people in in their database. Uh, They now say they have 30 billion faces in their database and that they add 75 million new images every day. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, privacy regulators in Australia, Europe, Canada said that what Clearview AI did was illegal and essentially kicked them out of their their countries. Um, So I think there is this real reaction to facial recognition technology, a a desire to have control of our faces. Um, But as individuals, there's not much we can do uh, to stop it. And Clearview AI used to used to respect um, uh, GDPR and European citizens who um, wanted to be deleted from their database, but they recently stopped doing that. And they've decided they're not essentially complying with privacy laws outside of the United States. And so, um, I mean, I think one of the problems with facial recognition is that it's a worldwide problem um, and it, it would require kind of global cooperation to put an end to these kind of databases that exist that have been created without people's consent. So they can ignore European law with impunity? They think so. They've decided they can. And can they? That is a question. <laughs> I mean, um, that's the stance that they're taking. They, they say we're, in a, you know, essentially they're an American company and they're no longer operating in Europe. And so they don't think they have to comply with GDPR. But this is, I mean, I think this is a battle to come. This is all still so fluid. Um, and there's a question. I mean, they, they, so they were fined in Europe um, by several different country, countries, including the UK. Uh, the UK had issued an, uh, 7.5 million uh, pound uh, fine against them. And Clearview appealed it. It's appealing all of the fines. And in the UK recently, the tribunal court there actually um, overturned the fine and said that UK's privacy regulator didn't have jurisdiction over Clearview AI specifically because it's working with law enforcement and that the UK privacy regulator uh, basically shouldn't interfere with a, another sovereign state's um, use of the technology for security purposes. And so that is an interesting wrinkle. And for Clearview AI, um, 
just working with police has been a very effective defense for them for what they're doing, um, which is interesting to me because I know that's not what they originally set out to do. They they really just wanted to sell it to anyone who would buy it, um, but they have evolved into using it for security purposes. And so that's kind of been a get out of jail free card for them uh, in terms of enforcement. Didn't at one point they said, look, we are not going to supply this to anyone other than law enforcement. Yes, there's one state here with a very strong privacy law. Uh, it's it's pretty unique in the United States. And it says that you can't use, um, it's in Illinois, the state of Illinois. And it says that you can't use residents' um, biometric identifiers, including their face print without consent. Um, or you face a very large fine if you're a company. And so there was a big lawsuit there. Um, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, was behind the lawsuit. And Clearview and the ACLU settled the lawsuit. And Clearview agreed that they would only sell their database to the police and government agencies and that they would not sell it to private companies. Um, and so, yeah, that is what they've said. They could still sell their algorithm to private companies, but they won't sell that database of 30 billion photos to to anyone other than law enforcement in the United States. Anybody could do that, though. Anybody could, and probably are, start scraping, getting the same images, and doing exactly the same thing as Clearview AI, couldn't they? They are. They are already doing it. Yeah. I know of at least two, two public face search engines um, one is free, another requires a subscription. Their databases are smaller than Clearview AIs, but it's the same model. You know, they scrape photos on the internet. You can go to these sites, um, upload, you know, someone's photo, a stranger's photo, and it will pull up other places on the internet where where their face has been spotted. Um, and, you know, the one, the, the one I talk about the most is called PimEyes. It is a subscription-based site. They claim that it is only supposed to be used for personal privacy, that it's only, you're, you know, it's supposed to be for people to search their own face and see where their photo is on the internet in, in case it's like in a place that they don't expect and they want to try to get it taken down. That's what it says all over their website. When you run a search, you have to click a box that certifies, yes, this face is mine. But I have a, a subscription, you know, and I pay $30 a month. And my subscription lets me search 25 times a day. And it doesn't check to make sure that I'm only uploading one face or I'm only uploading my face. There's no technical controls. So, you know, it is clearly the advertising is for one thing, but the design is for another. Um, and so, yeah, we're, I mean, the, the cat is really scratching its way outside the bag and Pimize is a company that the owner is based in the country of Georgia. The corporate headquarters are in the United Arab Emirates, and they have legal services from somewhere in the Caribbean. So you can see how yeah. this is really a global problem. Yeah, yeah. The expression we, we tend to use is the genie is out of the bottle, right? And you mentioned Google, and Google didn't answer questions for your book. But they gave you a statement and it said, as you said earlier, we decided not to make general purpose facial recognition commercially available. We have a clear set of AI principles that prohibit its use or sale for surveillance. We encourage strong guardrails, particularly 
for facial recognition in public spaces through regulations and other means. What do you think those guardrails might be now, conceivably? Well, I mean, I think that we could still pass laws that say that these companies shouldn't have the right to create these massive databases scraped from the Internet. But those laws um, exist. Or oh, they shouldn't be able to scrape the images in the first place. I mean, we talked about Clearview AI's contempt for European law. I mean, the U.S. could pass a law and then the U.S. could enforce the law. The thing is that Clearview AI is based in the U.S. where we don't have such a privacy law, no. um, where the law is very weak. And so I think you'll see these kinds of companies come out of jurisdictions with with weak laws. Um, so that will happen until we kind of have a, a stronger legal environment. Um, I think there's a big question about what we want public space to look like and whether we want to have real-time facial recognition running on cameras. You can see the appeal of this to security forces. You know, the ability to be able to find a fugitive in real time, or if a child is abducted, you know, being able to look for that child's face or the abductor's face, um, you know, wanting to be able to find wanted persons. Sure. There's a real appeal um, to that and a push for that. But once you have that infrastructure in place, that means that you can track anyone. And what we are seeing in China, for example, in Russia, for example, where they're already starting to do this, is that they're also using the the software to identify protesters to identify dissidents um you, you know you can possibly monitor your political opponents um and then and then there's just the temptation to use it for other purposes so in china you know it's used to automatically ticket people who jaywalk it's been used to name and shame people who wear pajamas in public fair uh, enough they've actually <laughs> they've, they've rolled out facial recognition technology in a public restroom in Beijing, um, you have to look into a camera to get a certain amount of toilet paper because they were dealing with toilet paper thieves there. But that is, I mean, it's it's not the most chilling application, but I don't think most of us want to have to uh, look into a camera every time we want a few squares of toilet paper. So you can just see this kind of this slippage that happens, the surveillance creep, yeah. where where all of a sudden it's 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 kind of a chilling environment that you that's, live in. That's part you... of the answer to if you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. Because, as you point out, anonymity protects those who simply don't conform to the status quo, which in some countries is a dangerous thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, they must have an awful lot of money at their disposal, Clearview AI, in order to take on these court cases and defy the law. Where's all that money coming from? Yeah, I mean, they have investors. As far as I know, they've raised um, close to uh, $40 million um, in investments here in the U.S., which actually is really that not that much for a startup, you know, um, uh, you, a lot of startups, they raise tens of millions, hundreds of millions, you know, we have unicorns that have raised, a, you know, billion dollars in investment. So they're actually kind of a small player, uh, relatively small player within the startup scene. Um, you know, they are actively working with law enforcement. They have contracts with many police departments, with the Department of Homeland Security, with the FBI, 
they've gotten funding from the uh, the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force, to try to develop augmented reality glasses that soldiers could wear on military bases. They could kind of identify threats from afar. Um, so, yeah, at this point, they're having money from private investors and money from the government. Um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of not as much as you would expect and so when I'm looking at the, the regulatory landscape and these fines that they have been issued by, by Europe, they're, you know, they're far more than the company has raised um, in, in terms of investment funds. So if, you know, if those fines don't get overturned and Clearview eventually actually had to pay them, it really could be an existential threat for the startup. Um, among the examples you give of people who've, been arrested for crimes that they had nothing to do with. There are also, of course, examples of people who have been tracked down using this. And there's an interesting one, a 2019 investigation into child sex abuse, when just seeing somebody in the very background of a shot led to his arrest. Can you just talk me through that one? Yeah, so this is a case that's uh, um, an officer who investigates child crimes, uh, crimes against children, and he had gotten this case from um, Yahoo, uh, the email provider. They had come across uh, abusive images of a child in a foreign user's account. I believe that the user was based in Syria. Um, it, and it wound up with the Department of Homeland Security because they could tell that the image was taken in the United States based on the power outlets that you could see in the room where the abuse, um, the abusive image was taken. And so he has this image. He knows there's this child who's been abused. And this is all he has to go with is just a photo. And the abuser is in the photo. His face is showing. And so um, he sent it around to different child crimes investigators, this man's face. And he says, hey, have any of you seen this guy before? And one of the people he sent it to had access to Clearview AI at that point. And so she ran the guy's photo through Clearview AI and got a hit on Instagram. And it was a photo not taken by the guy or posted to his account. He was in the background of someone else's photo. Uh, it was a bodybuilder. And in the background, this guy was standing in front of a, a counter for a supplements company. And so the officer ended up calling the supplements company and saying, I'm looking for this guy. Do you know who he is? He finds out his name. He goes to his Facebook page and looks through his Facebook photos and sees images of um, the room where the you know the photo was taken and of the child. And so they ended up arresting that guy. He is now in prison, um, but it was really Clearview AI combined with this kind of trail, this bread um, breadcrumb trail uh, where he was able to identify him. And this was actually the very first time the Department of Homeland Security, who he worked for, used Clearview. And based on that case, that's why they decided to get a subscription. So you know, there are clearly beneficial uses to facial recognition technology. At the end of your book, you put on these glasses. What are these glasses? So Clearview, when I when I first heard about the company, um, we were able to get uh, at the New York Times access to their app. We looked at the source code and we saw 
code there that indicated that they could be paired with augmented reality glasses. And I asked the company about it at the time and they told me, oh, that was just something we were working on in a lab. We don't have any um, plans to release such a product. And then a couple of years later, I'm working on this book and I find out, in fact, they have developed that product that they had um, created an app that worked with augmented reality glasses and that they were working on it for the Air Force. And I asked them, can I try out the glasses? And so I went and I met Juan Tantat um, and his company spokesperson. And um, I got to put the glasses on. When I looked at Juan Tantat, you know, a little green circle appeared around his face. I click a, a button that's on the, the kind of side of the glasses and then it searches his face and it brings up other photos of him and his name. And so I just was able to identify him immediately. And then I looked at the company spokesperson and did the same thing with her. You know, the circle appears on her face. I click it. Uh, a number of photos appear. And one of them was actually with a very famous person. And I said, oh, there's a photo of you here with this famous person. And she said, can you please not mention who that person is in your book or, uh, you know, or in any article because uh, it's not public that I work with that person and I don't want to have it exposed. And I said, wow, it was so striking to me because this is a woman, you know, who has been hired by this company to talk about the benefits of this technology. And I had just invaded her privacy using technology in that <laughs> moment. And you can just see how, you know, uh, a technology like this really, it will expose things about us that we don't want exposed um, if, if a company, if a tool like Clearview AI is really widely deployed and used. And it really is just um, quite a weapon um, I, I mean, uh, quite a technology of control. Um, and so I think we need real barriers around its use, or I think it could be quite chilling. What's been the response to your book, either from potential lawmakers or from the tech industry? Uh, so I have been hearing uh, from a lot of audiences around the United States who are very disturbed to discover how little we have in the way of privacy laws here, um, who didn't realize, you know, that that how private your face is depends on where you live in the world. And so I've been hearing a lot of calls for for stronger privacy laws. People are very shocked here that there really are no laws um, at the at the national level that apply to Clearview AI. Um, and I think a lot of people are trying to think about this you know, we're, we're talking right now about what we do about AI and what the rules should be. And a lot of those conversations are pretty theoretical, um, you know, what might be possible. Uh, but facial recognition technology is just a clear example um, of, of what's wrong right now. And, and so I think facial recognition technology is increasingly kind of getting used as an example of, of, of kind of what's gone wrong with AI and what we need to do to stop such a thing from happening again, this kind of wholesale gathering of data from the internet used in ways that people didn't expect. Have you changed your personal behavior to mitigate the threat to your privacy? Um, I think about this a lot for my children. Like my face is 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 fully out there, um, and and there's many photos of me that come up on searches on Clearview and on sites like PimEyes. Um, I'm probably more conscious about the photos I put on the public internet. Uh, photos allowed to be taken of me, knowing that they could turn up in such a search. But then, particularly with my children, knowing that that 
you know, they might live in a world where any photo of them that's online might come up in the future or in the present. Um, so I'm a bit more careful about, um, about uh, posting privately. And I really would encourage anybody who's kind of posting to the internet um, to think about this, to, to think about, is there, is there some kind of real advantage to putting kind of photos, videos on the public internet? Because if there is not, I really think you should be doing it from a private account that's only available to friends and family or just sending messages directly to people, not, um, you know, not on the public internet. Uh, because we just live in a world now where there are so many companies that are looking at the kind of public internet as, as a source for, for data, for text, for photos, for videos. It will be scraped if it's on the public internet and it may one day turn up somehow in a way you don't expect. Um, so yeah, so I'm really a proponent of, of, of being more private in terms of what you make accessible. Good advice. Thank you. Kashmir Hill is the tech journalist for the New York Times. Her book's called Your Face Belongs to Us, The Secretive Startup Dismantling Your Privacy.